Good morning, I'm Nick Crawford. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is Orphan Sunday. It's a day where churches all around the world gather to say, we are your children, adopted by your grace, brought into your family. It's a day where we, we stand to celebrate. It's a day of joy and celebration and worship resounding from the Father to the fatherless. We are giving worship and celebration to God because of what He has done for us. And, we're, and at the same time, we're asking a question today. We're saying, how? We're asking, how? How can we be a reflection of your true character to the world right here? Psalm 68, 5 says this of God's true character. It says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation. Church, God defends the cause of the fatherless and He calls us to do the same. Ultimately, Orphan Sunday makes God's character shine bright today as we make the gospel and God's character visible by participating in global orphan ministry, foster care, and adoption. Today, you're going to hear some voices from some true heroes in our church, some advocates who are going to give voice to the voiceless and tell you some stories of the work that God is already doing right here. First up, we got Carly Wagner. She's a servant leader in our church. She serves on our deacon team, and she's got a really kind of a big name at our church. That, that last name Wagner is a big deal. I see a lot of Wagners right on here on row two. But who's your husband, Carly? Daniel gets to lead the students here. So he's on staff. He's the goofball on staff. He's a goofball. I get to work with Daniel. I can testify that he is a goofball. But he's also leading a trip to Matamoros. You just saw a video of the children's home in Matamoros, Mexico. He's leading our students to a trip there very soon. But um, you're on the spotlight today, not Daniel. So you have a heart for orphan care, and you work at Sunnybrook Children's Home right here in Ridgeland. Would you tell us about Sunnybrook? Yeah, so 55 years ago, down the street at Meadowbrook Church of Christ, a former foster boy who became a man named Alonzo Welch would bring children up to the front of the congregation and say, this is Sarah, and let's say her parents have passed away, or she is in need of a safe home. This is an abused and neglected child. And out of that um, heart of his, a former foster child, they launched Sunnybrook Children's Home. And they began renting houses downtown Jackson. And then it quickly um, moved to our current campus on Sunnybrook Road, named after us. This is 55 years ago. And so we are just a couple minutes away from the Renaissance development. And we serve the population of over 5,000 foster children in our state with two service lines. We have a residential group home, and then we have a support system for foster families, including a hospitality home in Flora, about a mile away from the Livingston development. So that's who we are. That's good. And you have a real big heart for the orphan. Can you tell us why? Well, um, over over time uh, in my short life, I read a book called Fatherless America, and I had the privilege of serving in Brooklyn, New York, with a legal ministry. And I was kind of ready to like feel good about myself and <laughs> help this attorney and uh, make a difference, right? And um, my dad had given me, he's given me many books, but one book that I actually read was called Fatherless America. I used it for a project. And I saw the direct lines, um, and I saw these firsthand in Brooklyn as well, between former foster youth and incarceration rates. And Mississippi has one of the highest incarceration rates in the country. We have overcrowded prisons. And about half of former foster youth will enter the criminal justice system. And then 90% of former foster youth 
will um, either be arrested or convicted of some crime or spend a night in um, in a jail. So um, my heart, I guess, has just softened over time, and I haven't always just wanted to work for a children's service agency. I've always thought it was noble, sure. And the first thing I think of is kind of like pigtails and hyper kids. Um, but I really have seen this is the direct line. This is our answer. If we're going to have a different state, if we're going to have a different heaven from a Christian perspective, we've got to invest and got to do some things differently. And um, as James 1, 27 says, you know, defend the cause of the orphan and the widow. But right after that, it says, don't be polluted by the world. And so if I'm polluted by the world, I will not be effective in, in obeying that and trusting God. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned 5,000 kids and orphan care in our state. You mentioned incarceration rates. Can you speak a little bit more to the, uh, the current problem of the orphan in our state? Yeah, this past year, if you look at mid-2018, we had about 2,700 licensed foster homes and um, about 5,200 children. So some of those are in sibling groups. So, of course, some of those can be in the same placement, um, same house. But there's a huge need for facilities like ours, group homes, congregate care, shelters. And um, there's a lot of legislation right now, the Family First Act. Many of you are way more knowledgeable than I am in the Olivia Wilde lawsuit which will affect the funding of congregate care. And so we are primarily funded by um, churches, businesses, grants, and endowment. And um, we get a small stipend from the state board payments, but um, just as a foster parent would receive a small stipend. But um, yeah, they're, like I said, 2,700 licensed homes, but double the amount of children sitting there with bases of stories that we don't pull to the front of the congregation, right? Like when Sunnybrook was created. Um, but they're there, and they're real, and a lot of y'all have already affected them by bringing them into your homes, and sometimes permanently. Yeah, thanks. And, you know, one of the things I think uh, what we're trying to do here today is to create some awareness. You know, the orphan is uh, forgotten and forsaken. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But anytime you try to create awareness for a situation, uh, you're doing so because there tends to be a lack of understanding. Uh, about the problem. So can you, uh, can you clarify one myth for us about the orphan uh, problem here in Mississippi? Yeah, like I said, it, it does affect us all, whether you're a believer or just a taxpayer, <laughs> and you see it as overcrowded prisons. But um, I guess the myth that I always believed was uh, you either got to foster or adopt, and I'm out, <laughs> my family's out. Um, like my parents, they never fostered or adopted, right? But there are so many parts to play, and they're all critical. And so whether you can barely make ends meet, but you can write a thoughtful letter to a house parent, um, that can be huge in keeping her in the game. Whether you can drop off, I love Biagi's Pronto Pack. I think it's $35. <laughs> you get bread, a salad, some meat, lasts for a couple of days. Uh, whether you can drop off a casserole, pizzas from Little Caesars, and just give those house parents or foster families, just an hour of rest to sit down, take a deep breath. Um, we've got foster parents on our campus. They're married, uh, and they live in the homes. We have kind of that traditional family model. They have four biological children and then seven girls living in their home with all different types of abuse and trauma in their background. So there's a lot that can be done. I would say the myth would be that maybe you can't make a difference, and the truth is that every little thing is hugely impactful and critical. Thank you, Carly. Yeah, we can make a difference. Uh, whether we're called to adopt or foster, 
or go around the globe to serve in a global orphanage. We can write a thank you note. We can do some small things, and it does, like you say, make a difference. Thank you, Carly. Uh, Next up on our panel is Josh and Jana Phillips. Uh, These are friends of the church. They've been here from the get-go, I believe, and I have them to thank for a uh, deep freeze in my, uh, my garage. Uh, they uh, gave it to us. They're very generous, and uh, they help us keep all of our Red Baron pizzas uh, nice and frozen. Uh, but they have a great story of adoption that we want you guys to hear. And before we get to it, I'm going to ask you guys why. Why adopt? What was your motivation to adoption? Well, <clears throat> it's a little bit of a, of a long story, but um, uh, I guess it started probably 15 years ago when I was in medical training at UMC. That's where we met. Um, uh, you in pediatrics, you would take care of patients for um, a month at a time. You go on a rotation and you'll be taking care of, of those patients in, on that service for, for the whole month from the beginning to the end. And uh, you would be aware at times of some patients who, uh, for one situation or another, maybe they were medically abandoned or maybe they, you know, had a medical need that the parent was not comfortable, you know, caring for. And they would be residents of the hospital. So they would they would be living there for, you know, months or in some cases, years at a time. And, you know, you know, during your month with that patient, you and the nurses were really, you know, they're they're um, they're only caretakers. And so, of course, you would get attached to them. You, You by the end of the month, you've been through a lot. You know, you've had a kidney infection and a unit transfer and, and you know, you, you, you develop some attachments and it breaks your heart knowing that, you know, the only thing keeping this child in the hospital is the lack of a parent, you know, comfortable with their medical need. And you would know, well, I'm comfortable with the, with the medical need. You know, why, why couldn't I, you know, um, uh, take this child, you know, and of course at the time, I mean, I was single and I was on and staying overnight in the hospital every, um, every fourth night. I didn't have a girlfriend, much less a, a wife. So it wasn't the time for that then. Um, uh, uh, but it was a seed was planted and it, and it, and it was, it was definitely, um, it came up later. And so while we were dating very early in our, in our dating life, we, um, went to a lecture put on by a pediatrician to, to to tell other doctors about the, the medical needs of internationally adopted children. And um, it was informative. I think we probably came away from that, that lecture um, uh, thinking it was never something we would do. One of the lessons was, or, you know, um, that these children can be sicker than, than, um, than the parents may be expecting. Um, uh, but I think it was really, you know, an, an important part of our story. And it, and it, and it, again, you know, planted that thought, that seed that, that, um, <clears throat> that continued to grow and, and, uh, it came up again years later. Yeah. Thanks. Would you guys go ahead and share your story of adoption? Sure. Yeah. But I, I did want to say that probably the only reason we went to that meeting was free food. So he was a resident and I was a med student and we went to all the free dinners. Um, and we walked away from it thinking that is crazy. We will never do that. Um, but so we have, um, we're both physicians. We have three kids. Eloise is seven. Edie Jane just turned five. Um, they are biological children. And then we adopted Easton, who is about four and a half um, from China last year. And um, adoption really came up for us in about January of 2015 when Edie was a little over one year old. And I always wanted three kids. I came from a family with three kids and I always thought my baby sister made the family. I've told him that like a hundred times. So, you know, I started um, thinking about growing our family and mentioned that to Josh. And his reply was, well, I think our next child will be added through fostering or adoption. And it really took me by surprise. I was like, hmm, oh, that, that's interesting. Okay. Um, not really something I was initially very interested in, to be honest. Um, but we started to pray about it. 
Um, we prayed that God would show us how he wanted us to grow our family. And um, on a Sunday very similar to this, later that year, Fondren Church had several families on stage that shared their story. And um, thank you, Nick, and um, for having us, because really I don't think I would have my son today here if not for Fondren Church um, and a Sunday very similar to this. So um, the website Reese's Rainbow was mentioned that day by one of the families, and that is a website that has files of waiting children, so medically um, ill children who are waiting for families. And so shortly after that service, I got on that website, and, and there was a little girl, still remember her name and her face. Um, she had a pretty minor special need, and um, Josh and I said, you know, this is really something I think we could handle. And so we inquired about her file, um, but she already had a family. But that was really the start of our journey into the China program. So in China, um, there's not really the safety net that we have here. So here, if children are born and they can't afford uh, medical treatment or they have a severe illness, they qualify for certain government programs and, and they can get the surgery and the treatments they need. But that's not always the case. And in China, that's not the case. It's pretty common to be uninsured there. And so um, if uninsured families have children with complex medical needs um, that they can't afford, oftentimes they're forced really to abandon their child um, in order um, for the child to get the appropriate medical care. And, you know, I guess that really pierced me to the heart. As Robert said in one of his sermons, what pierces you to the heart? There are lots of causes. Um, but for me, that really um, hit home. I was actually born with a birth defect myself. Um, I required two eye surgeries as a child. One was about eight hours. Um, so I guess, you know, that's one of the reasons it just really um, got to me. And so I will say that there were several months passed um, before we were united. So Robert prayed with us a few times, and he prayed that God would unite our hearts. There were times when Josh was ahead, and there were times when I was ahead. And it really wasn't until the next summer um, that we were on the same page. And so our little girls were in the bathtub one night, and I had signed up for all these email lists for agencies and I open an email and they don't do this anymore but there were um, videos of children waiting and their medical files were attached and you know just once you see those faces you can't unsee them you know and I showed it to Josh and and though we did not match with those children we decided this was something we felt God was calling us to and something we wanted to move forward with Um, so in early August um, of 2016 we applied for the China program with Lifeline Children's Services out of Birmingham. Um, We were matched with our son Easton pretty quickly. He was a waiting child for them Um, in October or so of that year. He um, has a birth defect of his ears and requires hearing aids, and he'll require open-heart surgery next year. Um, But we traveled in July of last year and met him July 10th. And um, since that time, you know, he's really done well. He goes to Magnolia Speech School. He came with no language, no Mandarin, no English. They did not have hearing aids for him there. Um, But he's really just done incredibly well here and is a great fit for our family. Yeah, thank you. And uh, it's really neat that uh, part of your story involved the panel just like this. Uh, sitting right here. You were out there listening to the story. Yeah, it's a very special place, honestly. You know, our first service was in the gym, but here, you know, I remember where I was sitting on certain Sundays when I felt like God was speaking to us, and and I was trying to say no, honestly. Um, And I remember, yeah, I dedicated Easton right there. So it's just kind of a special place. This is where the panel was sitting that Sunday um, that I, you know, got that website from. So 
That's cool. And we're talking about fathers. When I think of fathers, I think of a home. Uh, this is kind of a home to you guys as you describe it. But I have to imagine in a room this size that maybe there is someone wrestling with a call to adopt. So would you give uh, some advice to someone who's presently yeah, sure, wrestling sure. with a call? Well, I guess the main thing I would say is do not fear. You know, that's in the Bible so many times. Um, and I spent many, many days in fear and um, had some sleepless nights. And it really probably took us as long as it did because of, of fear. And um, I imagined every worst case scenario. Um, but um, God will provide for you. If this is what he's calling you to, um, he will provide for you. He is able to meet all of your needs and all of your child's needs. Um, a couple of examples of how we saw his hand um, in our journey. Um, we matched with Easton, like I said, in October. And we he's hard of hearing um, we did not believe he was deaf because in the video he turned his head when somebody yelled at him. And so they dropped it on us after we matched with him that we would have to go through a special deaf education course and we would have to learn American Sign Language before we traveled, which was not that, you know, we didn't have that many months to learn a whole new language. Um, so, you know, how do we do that? That's overwhelming, right? So we both have jobs. We have two small kids. How are we going to learn American Sign Language in just a few months? And, you know, Five minutes from our house, there is a church, a local church, that has free sign language classes every Wednesday night taught by a deaf person, which was one of our requirements, um, and an interpreter. And so that group was really special to us. Um, We were very blessed by those people. They really came around us during our adoption and afterwards. Um, And then the other thing is, you know, I had never even heard of Easton School. So he goes to Magnolia Speech School, which is an oral communication school for the deaf and hard of hearing and others with language disorders. And it's in West Jackson. It's really a jewel. You know, you don't even know it's there if you're not aware of this community. Um, But it's it's a unique school. He's he gets uh, a lot of language uh, intense instruction there. He gets his therapies there. Um, And there's really just not schools like that everywhere. I mean, people drive hours just to come to Magnolia every day. And, you know, it's 15 minutes from where I work. So God really has provided. um, And we would love to talk to anybody who's interested um, in adoption, particularly international or um, the China program. Yeah, thank you, guys. Josh and Janet, thank you. Uh, Next up on the panel is uh, Emily Moore, uh, personal friend. um, Her husband, Tyler, is a deacon in our church. And uh, we, we are in the same small group. And uh, if, you, if you ever hang, spend any time with Emily, uh, it's like right off the bat, she's just a natural leader. And uh, sometimes I feel like it's, it's her small group. Like, like she's actually leading the group. And uh, so it's really much. cool. It makes my job easier. Uh, but she has a huge, huge heart for foster care. Why don't you tell us how that began? Yeah, my story is a little different than these two. Uh, foster care just kind of fell into my life. Um, my whole childhood, uh, I had one biological brother, and my parents always talked about fostering or adopting, but like everybody, we were busy, and it, it just never happened. And my senior year of high school, my mom had a brain aneurysm. Um, they didn't think she was going to make it. She was in the hospital for a long time, but she did. And she got home, and that was one of the first things she said was, I feel like this was God's wake-up call to me, just telling me that I don't have forever to do the things that I want to do that I feel like will make an impact um, that I've been putting off. So about a year after that, she and my dad brought home their first foster child. And since then, it's been 10 years, and they've had between 20 and 30 kids. Um, They've adopted three. So I have two little sisters now, Anna and Des, and a little brother named Damon. And so just um, seeing the impact that it has had on our family 
and on these kids and the families that they come from. It was kind of this whole world that I guess I knew was there, but I didn't really have a close-up um, picture of, uh, seeing that foster care is different from adoption and that it, it's pretty messy. Um, you have a lot of relations with the biological parents. Um, and sometimes, you know, we had kids come into our family for a year or so and then go back with their biological parents. And it was, you know, it was hard for us, but it was a good thing because the, the parents were able to get the help they needed to care for these kids in a safe and healthy way. And um, we were able to see that just picture of restoration. And it was really beautiful. Um, and it's, it still happens. And it's still always cool to see how God can work through those families. And then the ones that can't, um, seeing those kids get to become a part of our family uh, has just totally changed my definition of what the word family means. Um, holidays are kind of crazy at our house now. We have grandparents of this kid and the biological brother of that kid and the, that kid that lived with us for a year and her biological mom. And so it's you, it's just always new people. And um, But that's family. That's what, that's what God calls us to do is is give people a place where they can feel loved and, and feel like they belong. And so that's why it's it's really touched my heart and it's something that means a lot to me. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, and and you, you said that, you know, a passion for foster kind of fell in your lap, but it didn't stay there. You've been doing some stuff about it. What, what have you been doing here at Fondren Church to start a foster um, care ministry? Yeah, well, I learned there are over 500 kids in foster care just here in Hines County. It's the second largest number in the state. I think Harrison County on the coast has a little bit more, but still that's a huge number of kids right here in our community and in our neighborhoods. Um, and so there's an opportunity there to serve those kids and their families. And so three years ago, we did the first ever um, Christmas party for kids in Hines County, for foster kids in Hines County. These happen all over the state. Um, but it, w- it was kind of a challenge to do Hines Counties because, you know, in Madison County, I think there were like 75 kids that they would do a party for. And they were like, who wants to do the Hines County one with 500? <laughs> um, I think it was just a big undertaking. So... I uh, talked with Van Harden, our missions pastor, and Mariah Carver, and was like, I think Modern Church could do this. And they were like, yeah, we can totally do this. So three years ago, we did the first Christmas party. It was awesome. Um, and then we've been doing it ever since. We've started this year trying to create other ways for our church to serve these families that are in our community. And so like this year, we were able to... Um, set up a closet on the second floor that has like blankets and diapers and toiletries and school supplies so that if a family, a lot of times these families will find out the day of that they're getting a kid. And so it's just hard to get some of those immediate needs that you need. So we're able to provide those to them. We've also started doing some educational courses this year. And we've partnered with a therapist who did her doctoral study on adoption. And so she's able to train these parents on how to have difficult conversations with these kids, how to deal with these kids who are going through trauma and kind of explain some of the emotions the kids are feeling. And so that's been a huge blessing um, to the families I know. And we're able to do that here at the church. Um, But back to the Christmas party, it's coming up and like, y'all got to help or it doesn't happen. So (laughs) well, well, let's talk about it. That that Christmas party, first of all, it's an honor. I mean, the first uh, place to actually pull this thing off. It's an honor, um, but it's a big deal. So why don't you speak a little bit more to the Christmas party for us? Yeah, and I know a lot of you have been a part of it before, and it, if you've been there, you know it's an incredible thing to see. We clean out the gym and just fill it up with 
the bounce houses and all kind of games and crafts. There's a photo booth. There's cookie decorating. We give them food and Christmas music. And it's just a chance for some of these kids who are going through a lot um, to just be a kid and enjoy Christmas and have fun. And then at the end of the night, we share the gospel and the Christmas story. And it's for some of the kids the first time that they're hearing it and just get to tell them the real meaning of why we celebrate Christmas. So it's a really special night. Um, it's coming up on December 13th. It takes about 100 volunteers to pull it off because there's so many different booths. But there's lots of different ways you can get involved. Like if you're like, Emily, I'm, I don't even like kids. I don't want to do that. We can put you at the sign-in table. You can just deal with parents. We set up the night before. You don't even have to interact with anyone. You can just come help us <laughs> set up chairs. Um, and then also we have started being able to give Kroger gift cards to each family that comes, which they're always so surprised and it's a huge blessing to them. And they don't understand that we just opened this up, did this big party for their kids, asked nothing of them. And then we're sending them home with a $50 Kroger gift card to be able to buy food for their families for the holidays. And so we do that through your donations. So two big ways to help are your time for the event. Um, and then if donating Kroger gift cards, which they've made it really easy, you can put them in the offering plate, bring them by the church, you know, send your carrier pigeon, get them here however you can, and we'll get them to those families. Emily, thank you. And would you please help me uh, thank this panel? These are superheroes. I'm a four and a half year old boy, and I'm kind of in that phase of life where we're talking superheroes, but these are superheroes. And let me tell you why. This is not something that they normally do. They don't get up and public speaking is not uh, in their job description. Uh, this is not something they do on the regular. But let me tell you what they just did. They just gave a voice to the voiceless. And in doing so, they demonstrated the very character of God, who is an advocate for those who can't speak for themselves. It's a big deal for them to get up here and speak. It takes a lot of courage. So I, I thank you guys personally uh, for getting up in here and uh, speaking. I know that's not an easy thing. Thank y'all. Uh, when we started, <clears throat> when we started this discussion, uh, we started off with a verse. Psalm sixty-eight, five says, "Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation." But then comes verse six. Then comes verse 6, which says, God settles the solitary in a home. And that word solitary is key. It's an important word. It means forgotten. It means forsaken. And as I studied this, this little passage this week, uh, I learned that that phrase literally means God makes a home. He makes a home for the forgotten. He makes a home for the forsaken. He makes a home for the orphan. And so I'm wrestling with this question. I'm like, how? How does he make a home for the orphan? How does he make a home for the outcast, for the forgotten and the forsaken? He came. He came. That's how the King of kings and Lord of lords came here. He came here. John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 says that he came to his own. He came to his own and his own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus came to adopt us. At the cross, Jesus, the Son of God, 
lost his relationship with the Father so that we could have a relationship with the Father. At the cross, we find the Son of God crying out, not to a Father who was close, but to a God who was near. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus became solitary. He became forgotten. Jesus became forsaken so that we would be remembered as children of God forever. That is what this day is all about. It's not about us rescuing an orphan. It's about the God. Jesus is the Savior. It's about the God who rescued us first. That's why we adopt. That's why we foster. That's why we participate in global orphan ministry. That's why Orphan Sunday exists. That's why it's a celebration of worship resounding to the Father all the way down to the fatherless. It's about the God who came to rescue us, to adopt us by His grace into His family. And there was not one thing that we could do to get into that family. He went all the way and beyond to bring us in. That's what this day is all about. So what's it mean for us? What's it mean for us, for the average Joe? Spiritually, it means that every single one of us is an orphan until we meet Jesus. Practically, as image bearers of the Most High God, it means we get to show His character to the world. We get to show love to children who don't know love. We get to give them a Christmas. We get to show them love. We get to redefine their image of the Father when the, when the world out there has marred and destroyed the image of the Father. That's what it means to us practically. So how can you play a part? Well, first it comes with this. You've got to know that God is a God of love. And He knows these children by their names. He knows every hair on their head. He knows them by their names. Carly mentioned a donation. A little piece of their budget comes from the state. The state calls orphans wards. But God knows their names. And through His church, we get to show the love of the Father to these kids. We get to demonstrate that to them. We get to show them a tangible picture of the gospel itself by showing love to those who don't know love. Redefining the image of the Father. That's pretty awesome. That's first. Practically, though, what can we do? I literally, there are many things. I literally read articles this week. One of them was titled, 12 Things That You Can Do to Join the Cause of the Orphan. There are countless things from writing a thank you note to manning a jump house to writing, um, to signing people up for a Christmas party. There are countless things that we can do, but I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you just two today. You give and you serve. You give and you serve. You give. God is love. That's 1 John 4, 8. And the most famous Bible verse in all of Scripture talks about the God who gave. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever would believe in Him Believe in His name, shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. That's what we mean when we say love gives. We can give because He first gave to us. Love gives. The proof of God's love is that He acted on it. So we can act on it too. 
Giving costs. I know. Trust me, I know. Giving costs. But by God's grace, it always costs God more. <laughs> by giving to Finder and Church, you are giving to the plight of the orphan. 20 cents of every dollar goes out comes in 20 cents of every dollar that comes in goes out our doors to fulfill God's mission we take the tithe and we double it to for mission and you've seen a snapshot today of some videos you've heard some voices from our friends every single one of our partners of mission our missions partners they directly impact the calls of the orphan by giving to Finder and Church you are giving to the plight of the orphan you give as God's people, as His church, we get to show His love to the world. We get to prove His love to a doubting world by acting on what He has already done for us. You give. Secondly, you serve. Matthew twenty twenty eight. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And just as He came to serve, so do we. We serve. By serving with us and our partners, you are serving the orphan. There's an easy, easy opportunity to do that right now. It's not a forever commitment. It's a one-time commitment. Just as Emily mentioned, I'm going to hit this Christmas party, okay? It's coming up in mid-December. It's a big deal. And I said earlier, it's an honor. She said nobody would take Hines County. And a state with 82 counties, most of which have been doing this party for years. I myself participated in the Washington County one years ago. I'd go to that party every year and ask my daddy, why can't I get a gift, daddy? And he'd slap me and say, you ain't getting nothing tonight. You're getting a lot later. I used to go to that party. And now we get to host it. We host it right in our gym, right back there. We host that party and we serve over 500 people from our little gym right there in the backyard. It's a big deal. And it's a big ordeal takes over a hundred volunteers to pull it off we need your help we need your help emily and her team are going to be right through those doors in the commons ready to sign you up if you have any interest at all i'm telling you we need it i wouldn't ask you if we didn't we need your help to pull it off remember we get to give because he first gave to us we defend the cause of the fatherless because he adopted us into his family first. That's why we adopt. That's why we foster. That's why we participate in orphan ministry. That's why Orphan Sunday is a thing all around the world. Today, churches all around the globe gather to say, we are your people adopted by your grace. And because of that grace, we get to overflow to other people. That's why Orphan Sunday is a 